Good morning, afternoon and evening Fruitball fans and welcome back to another fantastic episode of Fruitball Weekly, the film review podcast where we give you all the juicy details and thought-provoking opinions on the movie of the week. And we also contain 100% spoilers. So grab a snack, pour a drink and get comfy for another Fruitful Review. I'm your host, Ramra, joined by my co-host, Kitchen! Hello! And today, we review Candyman, a horror film directed by Nia DaCosta and released in 2021. Candyman tells the tale of a struggling artist, Anthony McCoy, played by Yaya Mateen II, as he struggles to get inspiration for his next art project. This is until he hears of the Candyman from Burke, Coleman Domingo, and as inspiration strikes for Anthony's next art project, the project slowly turns into an obsession and starts to affect his and his wife Brianna Cartwright, played by Tayona Paris, negatively. Will this new obsession with the Candyman lead Anthony to newer heights or drag him down to hell? Candyman 2021, otherwise known as Candyman 3, or is it Candyman 2? Because technically, this film is the official sequel of Candyman 1. Eh. Honestly, I don't remember much about Candyman 2 itself, so I really only have Candyman 1 to go off, and it kind of makes an okay sequel. Yeah, there are some characters like Anne-Marie McCoy, played by Vanessa Williams, and Candyman himself, played by Tony Todd, that make a reappearance, and they do have a canonical place in the plot of this Candyman. Yeah. But this Candyman 2021 has rewritten a few things which fans of the original may or may not like, depending on their particular likes and dislikes about the first film. So talking about likes that I did enjoy in the film, this is another strongly acted film. Agreed. Like, pretty much every main actor, honestly, even some of the side characters, are just acted to the point where you feel for the characters, like the struggling artist, you know, he is just still sort of normal, you know, he's not (laughs) over-exaggerated, you know, he's not overly flamboyant like a lot of artists and media are portrayed. He's just sort of like, I don't have the inspiration to paint, so I'm not gonna paint. Till I found that spark. Yaya Mateen, I think, really does a great job playing a realistic character. He's a very believable person. Yes. And I also think that Anthony is paired really well with his wife. Slash girlfriend. Maybe girlfriend, yeah. I don't think they're married. No. Just because she is a believable relationship partner in this film. Like, when... He's upset. She does try to connect with him. She tries to figure out, you know, what's wrong. She doesn't immediately fly off the handle, really, at any point until the moment where he's, like, truly breaking down. That's Mm. when she decides to get out of there. And I just kind of like the fact that there's not really an unrealistic reaction. Like, they don't hear a word and fly off the handle, they don't do an action that causes the other to over-exaggerate and blow it out of proportion. I do find the sudden change in Brianna's character a little jarring after the mirror-smashing incident. Oh, yeah. Where she immediately moves out, 
immediately starts collecting her shit and just doesn't want to stay anywhere near Anthony at this point. While it's completely justifiable because he has gone off the rails, I do think it happens very quickly. But besides that, their on-screen chemistry is superb, and I totally buy them as a couple in this film. Now, in terms of the other characters that are actually in this film, side character-wise, you have the best friend art gallery owner with, like, his side piece. (laughs) You also have Brianna Cartwright's gay brother, known as Troy Cartwright, played by Nathan Stewart Jarrett, who kind of gets introduced as... Honestly, just a regular sort of guy, really. Yeah. And he's currently got a new boyfriend as well. And I would say that they do a good job of showing a real dynamic between a interracial couple. Because I believe his new boyfriend is a white male. They don't sort of make a big deal of it. They don't majorly sort of play it as like this big shocking thing. It's literally just two people who get together. And I really like that fact. And that's how you write an interracial couple. Or in fact, just a homosexual couple in any way, shape or form. You don't point that fact out because it's not important. It's not important that they're both male. It's not important that they're different races. You just ignore it because it's not relevant to the relationship. They like each other for who they are, and we have no business concerning ourselves with appearances. Absolutely not. And on the line of just appearances, their appearance is also one of just the best moments in the film, just because they do a scary story, like Troy Cartwright does a scary story, and he goes for the full ambience, by the way, you know? Oh yeah, he's he's super extra. (laughs) (laughs) He lights candles after he turns the lights off, it's like, you know what, he's going full blown into this thing, I love it. And he then tells the story of, I guess, Candyman 1, kind of. Yeah, it's a... It's a weird paraphrased version of the story, which is actually a sort of corrupt version of the story that has somehow gotten changed in literally 20 years. And this Candyman story does get corrected later in the film, but it's the fact that within 20 years, the heroic white woman who saved the child has become crazy psychotic bitch kills black kids and kidnaps them. That is true. It's crazy in such a short time how that story changed. Yeah, and has sort of been morphed into what people want to believe, I would say. It's kind of the vibe that it gives off. But even though they do end up sort of changing that, the whole aesthetic of the shadow puppetry story thing is phenomenal. I love that section. I absolutely love it. I love it every time it's shown in the film. And I normally get bored of continuously showing the same medium again and again. Yes. But every time it's used, it's used to show something new, something fun, something original. And I just love the whole artistry behind it. I really enjoy shadow play. And it's amazing to see it utilized in such a fun, creative manner for this film. No, absolutely. Like... The entire sort of story that was just being told and woven using these shadow puppet things was just really good. I was engaged throughout that entire bit. And usually backstory stuff is just sort of, you know, you end up seeing the live action actors redoing 
the backstory as it's sort of being told. And that, I kind of feel, is a bit... You know, we don't actually need to see the actors doing that. The whole no. point of telling the story is that you're going to over-exaggerate. You're going to yep. spin a few details. You want to make it exciting. Well, and the best part is... If they had real actors replaying this story, it would lead you to believe that that story is the legitimate story, which we know it isn't. That is also very true, yeah. So it makes more sense that they would portray it almost like a fable would. Yeah. Now, speaking of things that get old, Candyman's got to figure out a new way of killing people, my guy. (laughs) I mean, I get the fact that he has a hot hand. I really do. But was the bee deaths in this film? Where is any a bee death? Okay? I mean, technically, the original Candyman was killed by bees. I don't... I don't want to just see Slit Throat... Slit Throat... Oh, man, he's going to kill someone. How's he going to kill... Oh, oh, Slit Throat. Okay, okay. It's the third shot of someone being lifted by something invisible. Yeah, exactly. The first time they introduce Candyman inside the art gallery, the way they play with reflections of Candyman and have him appear and vanish between the different reflections you lose track of him it builds a suspense it builds sort of like the threat factor because you don't know exactly where he is i absolutely love that and the way they played with everything in the gallery even a reflection in the door which i was really hoping they would do because if he didn't appear in that door i'd be like still a reflection isn't it yes i'm so glad that it feels like there's no escape and it also shows that they've got some pretty decent prosthetics in this film as well. Because yes. the minute her throat gets sliced open, that shit looks vicious. Like, that wound is big, it's open, it's sort of visceral as well. Like, little different parts of the throat has actually been cut. Yeah. Now, I will say that I love that scene. That is probably the best Candyman goes out and kills people scene throughout the entire film. And it's also the first, I think. Yes, I think it is also the first as well. (laughs) Because, sadly, a decent amount of the deaths in this are probably off-screen. I mean, you don't even really get to see the male art gallery guy even really get killed. Like, you see him get dragged around, which is fun, and you see, like, his ankle get slit, which is really fucking painful looking, might I add. Oh, yeah. But, you know, him and the sort of, like, schoolgirls later on. I also think there's a couple of other off-screen deaths that he ends up doing, a bunch of the flashback Candyman deaths. I think nearer the end, a lot of cops get killed inside the building, off-screen. Yeah, and I guess with just the story that they were going for, maybe a whole lot of visceral deaths isn't what they wanted, but they also had them in there, so it's like, why not put those good prosthetics to more use, have more on-screen deaths? Exactly. The film is obviously extremely creative, and we know that it can do really great camera work. We saw a lot of things with reflection play, not just in that kill scene, but throughout the film in general, there's a ton of different light tricks and things they do to catch things out the corner of your eye, and it shows that they can think ahead when they do these segments. But for a horror film not to show the majority of the graphic deaths is unusual. Especially since the only times you wouldn't want to see the deaths is if you're building up to the big bad, which we see immediately. Yes. So there's no suspense to build by then. We know he's going to kill people. Let's just see it, please. I agree mostly with that. There's only maybe the school scene later on where I don't mind the fact that they cut away. Because I guess Candyman killing a bunch of 
teens, I guess, might strike a few people in a way that they don't like. Because they're young, yeah. Yeah. But speaking of, I guess, Candyman's biggest or second biggest uh, attack on a person that sort of really sticks out in my mind is when you sort of grab someone with a gravity gun and the body just starts <laughs> to really, just really go jank as they're flying around in the air. Is this the art critic? It is indeed the art critic. Yeah. Another example of suspense being ruined. Because they show Candyman in the mirror for a really excellent scene of Anthony literally seeing himself as the new Candyman, which is very overplayed in the film. It's very obvious that he's going to be new Candyman. Yes. But we know Candyman's there already. So when he then, right after this, appears peeping behind a corner, for me, there's no feeling of dread or creepiness coming from that because we know he's there as the audience. And you've literally seen him just dancing with Anthony a, a couple of minutes before that. So it's like, yeah. Exactly, exactly. So when the kill does come out, it's really expected and it doesn't feel sudden or horrific in any way for me. It just feels no. jank because it feels very CG and very ragdoll-like. Absolutely. I mean, the minute her body gets picked up and it slams against it, I'm pretty sure they shake her at least twice before he <laughs> slams her into that window. However, I will say again, another example of pretty good cinematography in that scene though of just Agreed. the zoom out as you're closer to the building you can still hear some of the sounds coming from inside yeah and then as it zooms out it gets further away and you see it get lifted and shaken and her head smashes against the window you hear very quiet thud and then just a squeak as it gets dragged across and then we cut to the next scene that honestly i enjoyed that the most if i'm honest like that is such a good way of, I guess, showing a death, which is still sort of shown as being graphic or brutal, but you also just, you're far away, so it's like you can't help her sort of thing. I don't know, I yeah. just really enjoyed it. I do, I do like that, because it's basically in public view, but it's not, because she's in like a high rise or something, or like a big apartment building, so what do you think the chances are someone's going to see this happening, even though it's in plain view? Yeah, it's the way the slim. way it zooms out, the whole, just the whole sequence besides the weird ragdolliness, I think is superb. So even though the ragdoll effect of the art critic didn't look great, and to be honest, if you think that the film's going to be full of real blood effects as well, there's a couple of CGI blood spurts in there. It's not too bad. It's not too jarring either, if I'm honest. And they only really happen during like the big kill scenes where you're not expected to really narrow down on anything anyway. There is a constantly growing good, I guess, oh, I, don't, uh, I don't really know what to call it, whether it's like art or prosthetic or mould that's sort of oh, yes. on Anthony. And yeah. I kind of love that development of just sort of like this creeping thing up his arm. I kind of wished more characters would notice it because there's one point where his entire arm at this point is covered with this sort of gangrene. And his wife doesn't even mention it. No, she doesn't. No one he's with mentions it. There's a scene where he's at a dinner table and he's picking it. And the only thing anyone says is one other character at the dinner table asking him to stop or something along those yes. lines. It's like, do you mind leaving your already dead arm alone, please, sir? Yeah. We're eating. <laughs> Maybe perhaps the ignorance that is shown to him is part of 
the idea behind the film where people just don't care about him. Yeah. But it doesn't come off that way. It just comes off to me as just obliviousness. Or perhaps the writers wanted to hold off him going to hospital until the pivotal moment where they reveal he's the baby Anthony slash Anthony from the first film. Yeah. And I mean, I get why they did that. But at the same time, it was really, really obvious. And maybe he should have covered it up sooner with like a glove or something. So people didn't ask questions. It's also jarring because, like you said, people who desperately love this man are seeing him in just a dishevelled state. Yeah. And they just don't give a shit. The only one that really expresses concern is his mother, as she should. But this is already after it's on his face. Exactly, yeah, it's creeped all the way up. He goes to the hospital, and it's already on his face, and they just discharge him. Yeah, they're (laughs) like, no, everything's all right. He's got, like, necrosis off half his body. And they're like, yeah, you can just go out in public, you're fine. Your body's eating itself, but I reckon you'll be fine after a good night's sleep. (laughs) Don't worry about it, mate. Oh, what's that, your fingernails and maybe fingertips are falling off? No, that's that's (laughs) normal. You go back out there, you go, go see your mother. It's obviously not something she can catch. That's right. Have your nails as a little bit of a snack when you get hungry. Yeah, oh, I'm yummy, sure yummy. Re- I'm sure you'll regrow them. Don't worry about it. But as as much as the blatant ignorance of just this man slowly turning into a weird zombie thing is really sort of just disconnecting with the film. Like, it's like you have this real relationship that you're in that's portrayed really well, yet there's this one thing where it's like it's completely invisible to everybody else but himself. Yeah. Which, maybe that is the thing they were going for, but I doubt it. Perhaps. There is a sort of almost anti-capitalist message here where they mention how they don't care about you, they just care about the profit you can bring them. I don't think that's much of a hot take. But at the same time, no one mentions, not even he mentions that his arm in this condition will prevent him from painting as well and will cost him his livelihood. I know he has another arm, but nobody makes that connection through the whole film, not even the main character who is obsessed with painting these portraits of previous candy men. Yeah, it's just like, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. Drink some water. It's sort of like it's a thing that exists through the whole film that should have a large effect on our character. But it's really, it doesn't. It's mostly there for our visual enjoyment. And visually enjoyable, it is. (laughs) When he's picking at it and it's falling off and oh. And especially when you get to the end of the film when it has like fully honeycombed. Because the idea is is that you get stabbed by a bee, which is a Candyman bee, I assume. One of those crazy Candyman bees. (laughs) One of those crazy Candyman bees. And he gets this just really awesome looking honeycomb dotted design all the way from his arm up to like his face. It's it's really awesome looking, but at the same time, nobody it makes it doesn't exist, does it? Let's be honest, it doesn't no. exist. Yeah, it's it's not like trypophobia inducing, luckily. No, yes. But I imagine some people true. might be quite disturbed <laughs> by oh, the appearance. God. Very good prosthetics, very good effects. Whatever they've done, yeah, I like it. Now, in terms of messages and themes and what is the story all about, I could probably tell you what the film is about up to maybe an hour in, and then <laughs> and then I couldn't, I couldn't to save my life tell you what the film's about yeah. half an hour towards the end. Absolutely not. The story itself, I think, is second or third to the the real meat of the film, which is its social commentary. Yes. On 
exploitation, mistreatment of black people, uh, gentrification, the whole shebang. It will hit Americans a lot harder than it will hit people in other countries because it is a much bigger issue there. Fair enough. I think our gentrification is mostly based on social class rather than race. Yeah. We have a lot of poor people that are Eastern European, English people, you know, we, people from all around the place. It's not primarily black communities. No. So it, do, it doesn't hit people in the UK as hard. But the message that really does carry through somewhat is the police brutality message or abuse of authority. Oh, yeah. I mean, when you open your film up with a nice little game of police brutality shadow puppets. Wow, that's my favourite game to play as a kid. That's not dystopian at all. <laughs> and I'm not going to lie, when that opened up the film, I'm like, I kind of really hope this isn't what the film is entirely about. Which luckily yeah. it isn't exactly. Well, sadly, the film opens with that yeah. and it ends with that. Yeah, that is true. It does come full circle towards the end. Now, usually, that would be a positive thing in a film, beginning and ending on similar notes. This whole film is about reflections and the cycle of mistreatment and violence throughout history. We get that. And how the viciousness of the past isn't exactly the same as today and how we've changed as people and grown and developed. No, that's not the message. <laughs> <laughs> that's not the message at all. Because Candyman takes a different approach. It targets specifically police and rich white people, yep. completely ignoring the fact that Candyman is the one who sets up all the shit that affects the previous Candyman, or the next Candyman, rather. Yeah, exactly. He sure does. Candyman is responsible for abusing... Sure, the system exists. We know. Yep. Candyman is responsible for abusing the system to his own ends, and yet they make Candyman out nearer the end of the film to be some sort of arbiter of justice for the black community. Yes, exactly. Their revenge against the evil white men. And I don't really buy that, because he's responsible for each of these vicious Candyman cycles. Maybe not yes. the first one, which happened so far back with lynch mobs and the shit. Things have changed mostly for the positive, even though some negative things still exist, but it's not yeah. the same calibre. And Candyman Absolutely. manipulates these things to make them even worse for the next Candyman. And as much as I love the cinematography, the reflections, the prosthetics, even the kills. The story is the thing that absolutely drags the film down. Well, maybe not so much the story, but the themes that are within the story. Because yeah. for me, personally, when I was watching this film, up to, again, that sort of hour point, I was determined to believe that this was a film about obsession and how obsession mm. can drive you insane and maybe Anthony was going to do something drastic because he wants his big Candyman art project to sort of be a huge success and with sort of like the original Candyman maybe his obsession was obviously the sort of daughter that he slept with and all the people that killed him so his obsession was getting revenge against them and then you could have another obsession and another obsession and Anthony's was the art thing by being stabbed by the Candyman bee the Candyman's obviously now a prevalent figure in his life yep. that drives him to maybe like kill the brother character maybe it forces him to do something drastic with his girlfriend slash wife 
you know, to something that sort of drives him over the edge and then he transforms into Candyman. That is what I thought it was going to be. It's very obvious they were going for the new Candyman angle, regardless of what yeah. other messages we think the film had. And the final half an hour just introduces so much unnecessary garbage towards the end that I just I just couldn't keep up. I really couldn't, yeah. if I'm honest. The problem I faced was is promoting a message that's very on the nose. Yeah. The original Candyman was about segregation, and it was a theme of the film where the main character lady, Helen, was exploring neighbourhoods and understanding the communities there and how things develop, and I guess, in a way, learning and helping. And becoming familiar with the culture and just sort of maybe spreading a word or a message that the way we're treating these types of people isn't right. Exactly. And that's nuanced and will promote dialogue. Yep. Rather than evil white man I'll kill you all. Yes. <laughs> but the thing but the thing with Helen is, in the first film, when she rescued Anthony, she fell into the fire alongside Candyman and destroyed the Candyman curse, or so we thought. Yeah, that's true. At the end of the first Candyman, you actually find out that Helen has become the next one. Yeah. She is continuing the curse. This White woman is continuing the Candyman curse. Now, for Candyman 2021, they've gone back on this and they've said, no, Candyman is only, from what we see so far, black men who have been abused, lynched, um, falsely accused and mistreated throughout history. And while they do go back on the story partly and say, actually, yes, she did protect Anthony, which is all well and good. They completely ignore the fact that she was a, a harbinger, a host of this curse for some brief time. And I feel like they've done that intentionally so they can have a full black side versus the full evil white side. They forcefully segregate their horror candy man from the actual story in order to have almost like a black only message. And this message, as I mentioned before, doesn't really tackle the systematic issues in place or promote dialogue like the original did in a nuanced way. It's on the nose, it's violent, and in my opinion, it's very soapboxy and glorifying of killing those you disagree with. Even if, in some cases, like these cops who did just randomly shoot people, are real bad guys. But that's not a real solution. And I don't like that the movie perpetrates this up to and in within its conclusion. And it's also sad to say that some of the scenes, I think, in this film are only included just to portray that sort of, you know, rich white people are bad and the poor segregated black people are the good guys and there's that sort of war or whatever between. It forces a divide where the first movie was actually about exploring the divide. Now, for example, there's that high school scene we mentioned. Yes, and there's honestly nothing within the entire film that portrays that message more than that. Because to me, when watching that scene, even though, you know, there was some skull-cracking ASMR in there, gave me the tingles right Lovely. down the back of the spine, that did. And there was the pocket mirror under the cubicle. Yeah, the pocket mirror bit and the reflections. Again, yep. the whole thing with the reflections is just done so well. But that scene is literally just a bunch of white teens say the Candyman thing, which, fair enough, you know, be an idiot. If you get yep. told a curse is going to happen if you say these things and the curse is destined to kill you, then honestly, they're just stupid enough to do it anyway. Oh, know? yeah, so yeah. Like, dumb people say Candyman's name and get killed. They've been warned. It's par for the course. We expect them to die at this point. 
But they only start dying once a black girl comes into the fray and she hides in a cubicle so it's obviously showing signs that she's been bullied or yeah. she gets bullied at school something she like that she puts her headphones on yeah yeah she's obviously being bullied and the girls themselves start you know kicking the stalling calling her stupid saying that she's locked the door all that stuff and then Candyman kills them yep now the thing is is that if Candyman just killed them that would make sense because yep. the whole point is, you say his name five times, you die. So you don't need to add this additional thing of, oh, now he's going to kill them because they've bullied a black girl. It really reinforces that message that I honestly don't really believe the film was going in that direction for the first hour. The weird thing is as well, there is one exception to this. But in every instance in the film where people have been killed by calling the Candyman's name, yeah. White people who haven't called that name have been killed. That yep. was the art gallery. The The guy didn't call Candyman's name. It was the girl that did, but they both still died. That's true. And any black people present that either called Candyman specifically or saw Candyman didn't get killed. No. The girl in the cubicle didn't get killed. The man from the beginning when he was a child didn't get killed. Our main character called Candyman didn't get killed. Didn't get killed. No. And Brianna, at the end when she called Candyman, didn't get killed. Instead, Candyman says to them, tell everyone to say my name or something, spread the word. Yeah. Almost as if he's a hero saying, if you call me, I will come. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I think it's really stupid that they've built him up to almost be like an anti-hero edgy villain. It's, it's almost yes. cringy, that weird poem he says at the end as well. Oh but God, I won't get onto that right now. The one exception is when there are the young girls in the past calling Candyman from their bedroom mirror. And these yeah. are, I believe these are two young black girls. And they, they are, instantly yeah. get murdered. That is the only time in the film that happens. And it's weird because that should be expected behavior from Candyman. But this film shows us the opposite. So actually, this normal thing where they fuck around and find out is actually against what we've seen throughout the rest of the film. That, that is very true, yeah. And based on Candyman's behavior, that doesn't make any sense to me. And another thing that doesn't make sense to me, really, is just the idea of there's points in this film that really go more towards the equality aspect. Like, we've already said there's obviously the gay couple that's interracial. There's some equality there. There's the thirsty librarian section. Oh, yeah. She's just <laughs> like, you know, there's no there's no hatred there at all. She's thirsty as fuck. She wants a piece of Antony, but obviously Antony's... A, already in a relationship so whatever there's the art critic that only really judges people based on her work she isn't really racist or anything like that she's just forced to do what she's supposed to do because of her job but that is an example of caring more about your work than people which is odd because they want people to see race except when the film doesn't want you to see race yes and there's also the biggest one which really sort of throws this whole thing just into the fire itself, is Helen and Anne-Marie. Anne-Marie is thankful for Helen, you know? She saved Anthony. She gave Anne-Marie the opportunity to raise the child that she might never have gotten the opportunity to do that. And the whole film itself, at the end, sets it up as if this isn't the case. Yeah, I think regardless of what messages this film may or may not speak, and regardless of the intentions of the writer to promote or not promote said messages, 
I think the real horror or message in the film is if something isn't done, this loop will continue. Hatred and violence, uh, it can be racism or otherwise. It will continue. And that's the real takeaway from the Candyman film, I believe, where Candyman wins. But we know Candyman isn't good, although it's made out at certain times that he might be. We know that the people he's killing, some are innocent and some are totally really bad guys. Yeah. But this cycle of violence continues. And I think the message that you mentioned is meant to be sort of the positive takeaway from the film, where if we don't change something ourselves... This will keep going on and on. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's meant to be like a triple-layered meta message. But it is very weakly spoken through the film and easy to miss in front of all the glorified violence. Yes, it really is. And one last thing from me in terms of just what I didn't like. I did not like the character of William Burke. I thought the actor who played him was great, like all the actors in this film. And I thought the way he was portrayed was fine. Mm. What I didn't like is the fact that, and it happens throughout the entire film, but William Burke ends up being a bad guy. He's kind of like the one that instigated the Candyman curse on Anthony. It filled his head with the ideas. He's sort of like the weird herald or apostle or whatever for Candyman. He's like a sidekick. And that doesn't make sense to me because I'm perfectly fine with him being like, oh, I'm a kid that saw Candyman. I'm fine with that. And I'm okay with maybe him being the next Candyman, or sort of like being infected in some way, or something like that. But the way the ending sets it up is he does a complete heel turn, and the only reason we have any excuse for that is the scene just before he turns evil, which shows that his sister's died by Candyman. And despite the fact that he looked shocked, that apparently made him like Candyman? Or is that the point where Mm. he got infected? Yeah. I also paired with that think that the Candyman logic, along with Burke's logic, is all skewed. Like, I genuinely don't know how the Candyman works, and I don't understand what role, really, Burke plays in this story. I think that the actual Candyman story took a backseat, obviously, to the messages. Because there are a lot of inconsistencies with Candyman, this film compared to the previous, because they've kept some of the canon in, like with... Anne-Marie's wound on her arm, it shows that the previous events of the first film did happen, which means Helen should have been a Candyman, but she wasn't. Yeah. Then again, if 2021's Candyman is based on racial prejudice and violence, then why would burning the child as a sacrifice cause the curse to continue? Yeah. Maybe because the child was innocent and being killed by Candyman? But Candyman's MO is to set it up. So evil white man kills black man or something along those lines, some form of injustice, regardless of race. Every time it's shown in the film, it's white men lynching, hanging, dragging, that sort of thing. But it's not stated that has to be white. That's just part of the film. It could just be an injustice because of a racial divide or racism or some other form of discrimination. And the theme as well also sets up like when they die... That's the form Candyman now takes, like the. Yeah, so there'll be like a, be like a four-week child or something. It's like what? With a hook as a hand. What is that gonna do? And the thing that reinforces this is the very end as well, when Anthony's walking past the car. Well, I say Anthony; it is now the OG Candyman, 
as he's walking around the car, he sees reflections of, I guess, the previous Candyman, and there's children in there as There well. is a child one, yeah. They do show the child in the end credits, where there's a whole shadow play depicting each Candyman, with the exception of Helen. And I believe the child was, like, baited. Essentially, children, like, accused him of, I don't know, stealing a bike or something. There is some historical context. I don't know that story specifically, but it does seem like they were falsely accused, and then they were given the electric chair as a really outrageous action yeah yeah and like i said i do believe there's some historical sort of fact or significance in these stories that did actually happen in reality i remember learning about the kid being dragged by the car in school as like a an example of the horrors of racism and discrimination so i do think some of these are founded in reality but still Candyman would have been the form of a four-week-old baby and where did the hook come from because not every Candyman is shown being killed with a hook hand. You could say, because one was hung, maybe they were hung via hook. Yes. The kid that was dragged by a car, they put the hook over the bumper. Yeah, exactly. But that doesn't equal hook hand. No, it doesn't. So why did Anthony need to have his hand cut off and a hook placed in there, when you could have just strung him up by a hook or something, or any other hook-related incident could have happened? But, my God, the whole skewering of i think just the Candyman law the basics of it what his actual morals are who he does and does not kill it's all out the window yeah it honestly is Candyman loses a lot of logic and the story loses quite a fair amount of continuity even yeah. within the film itself even within this film if it were self-contained it doesn't make some sense between scenes and with Burke as well, it's just the heel turn happens so quickly. Yeah. I feel like his weird insanity bit at the end doesn't really reflect how he's been throughout the entire thing. No, I would have liked to see a few more tidbits of him being a bit crazy, even if yeah. it is ticks. Exactly, yeah. Maybe he keeps bees in the laundromat or something. I also wouldn't have minded him checking just reflections constantly to see if yes. like, his Candyman friend is there or whatever. That would have been fine. Yeah. But it really does just come out of nowhere. And it's not like it's a shock spin or twist. It's just it wasn't set up in a way that makes sense for the character. No, exactly. But despite the fact that we've gone on long enough about why we don't actually like the story... The film itself is still really enjoyable. Despite the fact that Candyman himself, to me personally, doesn't make much sense anymore, and there are a couple of heel turns that just come out of nowhere, the actual effects, the kills, the character acting, the cinematography, the film itself is great. It's just the writing and the messages of the film are just so confused to me it feels like for most of this film they wanted to go for a different message and then someone towards the end of shooting said actually i want this to be a weird ritual i want it to be a cult thing i want it to be that he's a weird anti-hero i want it to be a heel turn there's a serial killer there's a villain so much stuff gets piled on in that last half an hour that i just got so confused that i just dropped off I think it might be that they wanted to have the same impact the first film did. Yeah. That they really blew it out of proportion here because it's still an issue. There's no ignoring that. But you're making the film out as if things have never changed. Yeah, that is true. Or they've gotten yeah. worse. 
none of that's true. <laughs> no, it's not. And because of that, and it does drop the film down by quite a few points, I would have to give Candyman 2021 a 7 out of 10. And that, to be honest, is begrudgingly, because I really do want to give this film higher. It's just because of the forced message, the confusing ending, and all that stuff shotgunned onto the end of the film, I just really dropped off. Yourself? I think the messages were so on the nose that it actually spoiled a lot of the film for me. It left the guesswork out of mostly everything. Because when you open with a kid playing cop shoot minorities, <laughs> you kind of know where this movie's going. There are no cards hidden up sleeves here. And it does really cause the film to sort of tumble towards a predictable and unsatisfying ending. Even if Candyman won... I really would have liked Anthony to go against Candyman right at the end. Yes. And then have Burke sort of prevent him or do something that causes the Candyman curse to continue. Because then someone is fighting against the machine. Yeah. But the way the film is right now, there's no real horror elements that got me. There are a few, like, gotcha lines that are just yes. thrown in there as some sort of culture reference, rather than adding anything to the story. And barring that, the film is really well acted. It's super creative. I love the cinematography. I love the style choices of the film. Even the music. I'm really disappointed. I want to love this movie more, but it just doesn't capture me in the way I feel it should. So I'm, I'm with you. A 7 out of 10. And on that note, Fruitball fans, comes the end of the episode. As always, don't forget to follow us on Spotify and all of the major podcast platforms to catch new episodes every Friday. Or support us directly by going to anchor.fm forward slash Fruitball Weekly. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Fruitball Weekly to keep up to date with Fruitball news, any giveaways we may be doing, or to catch our fan-picked review polls every four weeks. Please send any feedback or any Fruitball episode ideas to us at fruitballweekly at gmail.com and we will catch you next week. See you then. See you then.